Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. John chapter 14, verse 2. In my father's house, there are many mansions. It seems as though we're all born a long way from home. Perhaps it doesn't feel this way in the innocence of childhood. But as we move into adulthood, we can begin to feel like strangers in a strange land. And we have to find where we belong, where we can be at home. We can feel like strangers within creation because we feel a certain estrangement from our creator. God can seem distant, remote, unknowable, and to some even non-existent. This is part of the human experience. This is our predicament. But there is good news. And the good news is that Jesus is the way home. Our gospel text that we just heard is one of the grand theological crescendos in John's magnificent gospel. And I want to I want to look at it. This crescendo occurs at the Last Supper during an encounter between Philip and Jesus. But to fully appreciate this magnificent moment, we need to see the build up to the crescendo. So we're going to back up. John begins his gospel with his poetic prologue. It ends in verse 18. It says. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only son who is close to the father's heart, who has made him known. Well, this is a bold assertion that John has made. That apart from Jesus, we do not know God. Oh, I mean, there may be a vague awareness that we're within creation, there must be a creator. But after that, it's all just hints and guesses. I don't put much stock in knowing much about God through natural theology. You, can, you know, you say, okay, God's powerful, God's clever. But God might, if you're just taking your cues from nature, you might also assume that God is cold, capricious, maybe even cruel, because nature can be that way. And so that's why the... That's why the animistic religions that develop out of just the revelation of nature uh, consist mostly of being motivated by fear of God or the gods and trying to appease the gods. Now, if we're going to know God, uh, we have to know Jesus. No one has ever seen God. That's what John says. Not the patriarchs, not Moses, not the prophets. No one has ever seen God. It's the only begotten son. 
right there close to the Father's heart who has made him known. Go to chapter 5, verse 19. John 5, 19. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing on his own, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. So the Son does not change the Father. There are some who have thought that this is how salvation comes about, that God is ill-disposed toward we vile sinners. And that God has to have someone change his mind about sinners and that Jesus acts as that agent of change. No, 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 no. The Son does not change the Father. The Son reveals the Father. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing on his own, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. Jesus says, I'm just doing what the Father does. I'm just saying what the Father says. I'm not acting on my own. I am just revealing to you that which you haven't seen yet. Jesus is the incarnate reflection of what God is like. Again, if we're just left to nature, our hints and guesses, what we usually end up with, with is projections, projections of our own fear, our own anxiety, our own desires. Jesus says, no, just look at me and then you'll begin to see the Father because I just do what the Father does. I am showing you the Father. Uh, chapter 6, verse 46, Jesus says, Not that anyone has seen the Father, except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. All right. So again, no one has seen the Father except the one who comes from God. Again, I know this is, this is daring because you can go into Old Testament scripture and have all of these accounts of people seeing God and yet Jesus says no one has seen God. What does he say? Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. All right, chapter 10, verse 30. Chapter I'm not showing you all of the verses that are along this genre, just picking out some. Uh, John 10, verse 30, the Father and I are one. Well, there you go. <laughs> the Father and I, are, again, Jesus does not change the Father. Jesus is not another acting upon the one Father. Jesus says the Father and I are one. We're in union. We're the same. We see everything the same. We say the same thing. We do the same thing. One is not changing the other. The Father and I are one. Chapter 12, verse 44. Then Jesus cried aloud, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees him, and, who, and whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come as light into the world, 
so that everyone who believes in me should not remain in darkness. So, and what darkness is he talking about? It's not just sort of vague, you know, darkness. It's theological darkness. Let's look at it again. Then Jesus cried aloud, whoever believes in me. Do you believe in Jesus? Mm -hmm. Believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me should not remain in the theological darkness of we really don't know what God is like or we've gotten God wrong because we project our fears and our anxiety upon an imagined deity that is ill disposed toward us. Jesus said, no, I have been sent by the Father to bring the light of truth as to what God is like into the world. Now we're ready for the crescendo. We've reached the Last Supper, the Upper Room Discourse, John chapter 14, verse 1, our gospel text for this morning. Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus said to him, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? There's a lot in there. There's a whole lot in there. Um, But I want to say this. Jesus is the way home. Jesus is the way home to the Father's house. Or to say it another way, Jesus is the way to be at home with God. I mean, home can mean different things. But one thing home should mean is the place where you're absolutely at home. You're comfortable. You're relaxed. You're not nervous. You're not on edge. You're at home. And Jesus is the way to be at home with God. Now Jesus begins this part right here by saying, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. You know, we have to believe in something. Here we are in this world, 
crazy as it is, unpredictable as it is, broken as it is, beautiful as it is, but still fraught with all kinds of dangers and difficulties, we have to believe in something. If we don't believe in something, then we just drift. We just, we just drift. We're just kind of blown about, just sort of drift. There's, there's nothing to keep us fixed. There's, not, there's nothing to keep us grounded. And we just drift into the cold darkness of meaninglessness. And that's, that's when we're susceptible to a lot of self-destructive behavior. When we drift into the point where it's like, eh, what's this all about anyway? I don't even know what I believe. Do I believe anything? See, that's, that's dangerous territory. So we have to believe in something or we just, or we just drift. But what we believe in, somebody said, well, just believe in anything. Well, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. What we believe in must have enough truth, enough gravity, enough gravitas, if you want to say it that way, to keep our life in a safe and healthy orbit. I know people, you know, they want to latch onto something to believe. And, and you'll, you'll see some people, you know, I think you've seen this, who get their thing that they're always going on about, right? You know, somebody's, oh, you know, if you see them coming, you go, okay, I'm going to get this. Because they're always going on about that. Well, they, I, you know, I, I appreciate passion. I appreciate commitment to something. But do ask yourself this question. Is what I'm going on about worth going on and on about? Is it worth it? I, I don't mind someone holding something passionately, but just ask, is, is it really worth it? Is it worthy of me just saying, there, this is where I'm going to plant my flag and where I'm going to stand and this is what I believe. I can tell you what I believe in. And since I've got a pulpit, I think I will. And it's not an ism. It's not an ism. I, I say this repeatedly, but I'm trying to be a good pastor. I don't believe in conservatism or progressivism. Or the related isms, those are the two isms that are about ready to kill each other. And then you have others that spin off from them. Uh, I don't believe in those isms. I mean, though periodically I may line up, coincidentally, with one ism or another, I don't put my faith in any of them. My faith isn't there. It isn't, you know, this is what I believe in. I believe in this conservative cause or this progressive cause. That's not, I, I don't. Um, at, the wor at the risk of, you know, sounding like pious schmuck, <laughs> but it's, it's, it comes from the deepest part of me, I believe in God. I believe in God. I mean, what else is a creature to do? I recognize I'm a creature, meaning I have a creator. I don't think I have any choice but to believe in my creator. 
So I believe in creed. We'll say God. I believe in God. I don't believe in an ism. Might now and then line up with this ism or that ism. And, it, and it, it, depending on the issue, it'll flux back and forth because they're just isms. But I don't pledge allegiance to them. I don't wear their pin. I don't sign on their dotted line. I don't join up. I just, you know, some days, oh, I gotta go with, yeah, I kind of like that. Or I kind of like that. What I believe in, though, what I believe in, what keeps me grounded, what's fixed, is I believe in God. I believe in God. I believe in God. But I don't believe in God in just any old way. When I say I believe in God, I don't mean, you know, I believe in, you know, this amorphous transcendence that somehow is unknowable but may account for why we're here. No, when I say I believe in God, I believe in God as revealed in Jesus. I believe in the God that is just like Jesus. I believe in the God that Jesus is referring to when he says, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's the God that I believe in. I'm convinced that God is both infinite mystery and perfectly revealed in Jesus. There is something of the paradox there. But I think the paradox is, is where the truth is to be found. And once God is an infinite mystery, never to be fully apprehended, so the, so the journey and the adventure, the revelation is ongoing. But though God is infinite mystery, that doesn't mean God's unknowable because Jesus is the perfect revelation of God. So as we move toward Jesus and stay with Jesus, we just go deeper and deeper and deeper into the true but infinite mystery of God. That's what I believe. Now, at some point, I think most of us feel like we're lost in a far country. Strangers in a strange land. You hear this sermon, you go, yeah, okay, all right. But I'm talking about experience, how we feel. Subjective. I think most of us at one point or another feel like we're lost in a far country, strangers in a strange land. And we don't know how to get to God or how to get back to God. We say, hey, there was a time when I felt like I knew God. I, I don't feel that way anymore. Or, or maybe, maybe we're afraid to find God. Maybe we're actually hiding from God. Adam, where are you? Shh. Don't tell him, Eve. We're hiding. Because we're ashamed. See? Adam's naked. He's ashamed. He's hiding from God. And we hide from God because sometimes what we have is we're ashamed of ourselves. We're angry with ourselves. And then we're convinced that God shares that attitude toward us. I'm ashamed of myself. I'm angry with myself. Therefore, God must be ashamed of me and angry with me. So best just to stay away. Jesus is the way home. Or Jesus is the way home to the Father's house. Or Jesus is the way to be home with God. To be at home. To be at home with God. Not afraid. Not ashamed. Not anxious. Just... Ah, at home. 
I'm preparing a place, Jesus says. I'm, I'm going to go on my, my father's house. There's going to be lots of room. There's room for everybody. I'm going to prepare all kinds of places. I'm going to prepare a place in the father's house for you all. And I will then come again and bring you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. We'll be in the father's house. We'll be at home with God. And you know the way. And Thomas says, fun fact, we don't know the way. Jesus says, sure you do, Thomas. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, this famous John 14, 6, it can become imbued with a, mm, with a wrong ethos. <laughs> As if Jesus is sort of the curmudgeonly bouncer at the nightclub standing behind the velvet rope, saying, no one gets in except by me. And Jesus is there to keep out the riffraff. I, I, I don't think that's what it means that Jesus, he's, he's not the bouncer controlling the velvet rope for entry into the Father's house. Jesus is the way of seeing the Father and of thinking about the Father. He's the truth of the Father. He's the way to be at home with the Father because once you see Jesus, you relax. In other words, maybe it's like Jesus saying this, look, 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 look. Stop being afraid of my Father because he's just like me. The only reason we don't go into the Father's house is we're afraid to us. It's not because Jesus is going to keep us out. We're afraid. We're afraid that God is angry with us. That God has an attitude of displeasure towards us. And Jesus, no, 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 stop that, stop that. You're, you're going to like my dad. He's just like me. Come here, I'll show you. Come, come with me, I'll show you. I'm the way. He's just like me. He loves what I love. I love you. The Father loves you too. And even when Jesus says things like, I never knew you, depart from me. Remember, the only thing, what does, what does Jesus, the omniscient one, not know? That which actually doesn't exist. Jesus, that's, that's grace, that's mercy. Jesus is refusing to acknowledge the false self that we're trying to become. Trying to become something we can't be in sin. Aligning ourselves in some way with evil, which ultimately has no being. It's a, just a tear, a hole in the fabric of God's goodness. And Jesus, when, when we begin to distort ourselves into a false self, Jesus says, I, I don't even know that person. And I'm not going to know that person. We're going to get rid of that false person so that the real you can appear and be in the Father's house. Jesus is the way home to the Father's house. And the Father's house can be understood as an experiential awareness. I mean, an actual, just not, 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 not up here, but here. An experiential 
heart-centered awareness of the infinite and unconditional love of God. It's the place where you're always safe, where you're always welcomed. That's what we mean by the Father. It's a, it's a revelation of God's love that causes you to know with God, I'm always welcome and I'm always safe. That's the Father's house. And by the way, if because of certain episodes in your history, and your background, you need to call it the mother's house, you can do that. This is not about trying to place male or female upon God. It's just whatever language works. For some of you, it might be, as, if, if you've thought of your mother as being the one with whom you're always welcome and always safe, always there to care for you, Jesus is saying, I want to show you that's exactly what God is like. Jesus is the way to the perfect revelation of who God is. That's what we mean by the way. He's the way to the understanding of who God is. He's the truth about who God is. When, when, you, when you stop hearing the lies about God, that God is dangling you as a spider and all that nonsense. That God is just that close. He's that close. Just that close. I mean, eternal conscious torment. Torture chamber for you. Yeah, I got rooms in my house. One of them's a torture chamber. That's where I'm putting you. Jesus is the way out of that into the true knowledge of God where finally you can have life. He's the way, the truth, and the life of the Father. Jesus is the truth about God, and the ultimate truth about God is that God is love and perfect love, love that is growing and maturing, casts out all fear. This is 1 John 4, 18. Because fear involves punishment. We're afraid that God is going to punish us not in a corrective way that will lead to our well-being, but just in a purely retributive way for which there's no end. Fear has to do with punishment, and whoever has not been perfected in love is, is, is afraid of God. I talked about this Monday night in the first session of the Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God online class. Tomorrow night we're going to talk about all this blood and gore in the Old Testament. Does God command people to kill babies because I can show you those stories in the Old Testament. We're not going to wince. We're not going to look away. We're going to look, we're going to deal with those things. But last week we talked about the fear of God and the fear of the Lord as scripture tells us is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is where we begin to be serious about God and our life and the reality that we live in a moral universe that has consequences that when we go with the grain of love, it tends towards well-being. When we go against the grain of love, we begin to suffer the shards of self-inflicted pain. That knowledge, that awareness, and say, you know what? I'm going to be serious about God. That's the fear of the Lord. It's the beginning of wisdom, but it's not the end. It's a beginning point, but it's not the end. The end is the perfection of love where all fear is gone. Yeah, I look back. I mean, I'm working on a memoir right now, writing it. 
which is an interesting experience. You know, we have our memories, but if you like, I'm going to sit for six hours with memories from 50, 40 years ago. Some things begin to come back to you. And it gives you perspective. And so I can say for sure that as I began my life with God, I began with a certain kind of fear that I actually no longer have. You say, well, have you just, have you just become careless? I do not think so. I do not think so. Um, have you heard of, anybody heard of, uh, probably not, maybe you have, St. Anthony the Great? No? Born in 251, he's an Egyptian um, desert father. Born in 251, died in 356. Yes, he lived to be 105. He's called the, the, the father of all monks. Kind of launched the whole monastic movement. Known for his holiness. His great battles with spiritual wickedness. And then finally, his sage wisdom. St. Anthony the Great. I've got, a, got an icon of St. Anthony. I first saw this. I was, I was speaking at South, Southeastern University in Florida. And uh, I was there invited by the New Testament professor. And I was in his office and he had this very icon. And I came back and I told Perry about how much I liked it. And so she, she got it for me for my birthday back in March. Yeah, I've reached the point where I get icons for my birthday. <laughs> and uh, with these icons of saints, they're usually uh, depicted with, a, with one of their saints. Typically it's in Greek, but this one's in English. You see what it says there? I no longer fear God, but I love him. That may not be where we begin. Probably isn't for most. But it's where we can get to. Why? Because Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way to get to the point where in all honesty, not bluffing, not in a cavalier way, not in a reckless way, but in a down to the very core of your being to where you can say, I no longer fear God, but I love him. And that's a beautiful place to come to. When we can honestly say that, I no longer fear God, I love God. We're on our way home. And Jesus is the way home, the way home to the Father's house. So pray this. I want you to pray this. Why don't you stand with me? Stand with me and let's, let's not leave this sanctuary. Let's not leave this moment until we've had some kind of encounter or at least attempted an encounter. I'm going to give you a prayer to pray. I want you to pray it. Pray this prayer after me. We'll pray it a few times, but we'll start off real simple. Pray, 
Lord Jesus, I believe in God and I believe in you. Help me find my way home. Lord Jesus, I believe in God and I believe in you. Help me find my way home. One more time, Lord Jesus, I believe in God and I believe in you. Help me find my way home. I just sit with that. Stay right there. And maybe you see Jesus in some way looking at you and saying, well, dear child, I am the way home. And he takes you by the hand. And he says, come with me. You say, where are we going? He says, we're going home. Where is home? Well, it's my father's house. Where you will find nothing but love and welcome. Yes, Jesus, but I've sinned. We know. The Father and I know. And what we want you to know is we forgive you. Come home now. It's time for a feast. It's time to be at the table. It's time to be in the place where you're always safe and warm. Come with me, Jesus says. I'll bring you home. I am the way. Amen and amen. Ooh, do you sense the love of God? Do you sense the love of God? I feel the love of God. Ooh, that's good. When you come home to the father's house, when you come home to the mother's house, you know, you've been away. You're, you're all grown up now. But you come back home. What's the, what's the central moment of coming home? It's the table. It's the meal. You know. You know when you come home. That mom or dad. Have prepared a meal for you. It's the way we say, welcome. You belong here. Sit down. We're going to take care of you. We're going to provide for you. We're going to feed you. That's what this is. The table of the Lord. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. Jesus giving himself to you because he's the way home. Let's prepare our hearts and let's come to this table. First, confess with me our Christian faith. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, 
the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. And now, let's confess our sins, those things that have maybe wanted, wanted to, these things that make us hide and not come home. Let's just be honest with the Father and receive forgiveness. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone, we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name, amen. And God is gracious to all who confess their sins and in humility ask for mercy. In the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. And this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come. Because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. Amen.